All right, so once again, um, rely heavily on um, A.W. Paint's book, uh, The Attributes of God, and uh, some of Stephen Lawson's stuff this week. But I think all the quotes are A.W. Pink. I think I threw one Spurgeon in there. Um, if you want to be finding Job in your Bible, I think that's the only one that I didn't put on the on the slides. Um, Job 1, and if we have time, we're going to get to it. Uh, we'll get to it. But So we're talking about attributes of God. So kind of have the... Why are we talking about the attributes of God? <clears throat> it's to actively seeking and accurately understanding who God is will promote high and holy living. Every aspect of our lives are reflective of our view of God. And an accurate understanding of God is foundational to uh, how we know Him, worship Him, serve Him, and become more like Him. And Pink, uh, and a lot of, I would say, a lot of your scholarly people are going to say this attribute alone is probably the number one thing. So if I said, what one attribute of God would you use to really talk about who God is, what attribute would you use? It's a good one. It's a good one. Love. Love. That's the that's the worldly answer. I, I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. Definitely. What really sets God apart though? Holy. Holy. Sovereignty. Sovereignty of God. Because it's one thing to think about it. If God is all knowing, but he's not in control of all things. Would he really be God? He has to be completely in control of all things or he's not God. Um, so, and this is one that brings much debate and argument amongst the brothers and sisters and the world and everything. And I, I, mean, I understand it because uh, before I really studied, um, I never even give thought to the sovereignty of God. Who cares? I'm saved. What's it matter? You know, that was kind of the, the whole life thing that I went through uh, until uh, many, many years ago when uh, we just like, all right, let's just look at Scripture and just see what it says. Like, forget everything we've ever learned and try and sit down with an unbiased thought of what Scripture is saying. And at that point, it really, um, it really opened my eyes to see these things. Now, I didn't understand them, but I started seeing things in Scripture and I was just like, what's that about? What's that about? I started asking a lot of questions. So, and sovereignty of God was huge. Um, so A.W. Pink says that the sovereignty of God is the exercise of His supremacy. So once again, He is supreme in all things. He's over all things. He created all things. You know, He is the supreme being. And the, the sovereignty is the exercise of it. So for Him to be, once again, if He was still supreme but he's not necessarily in control, see how that would conflict. You know, so if you say God is supreme, well, he's got to be God is sovereign as well. He's, he's got to be in control, or he's not God. Pink even actually goes to that, um, to that point of saying that if your God is one that's not in control of all things, then your God's not God. Like, you have to be in control of all things. Um, so a lot of it's probably going to reflect... A lot of what Joey went over last week with the supremacy because this is just him carrying it out. Um, so Isaiah 46.10 says, Declaring the end 
from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So plan being established, that's the you know, foreknowledge, decree, all that top side of things. But then accomplishing that would be his sovereign rule and reign over things and making sure it happens. Uh, Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are of no account, but he does according to his will among the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can fend off his hand or say to him, what have you done? So once again, nobody controls God. God's in control of the host of armies in heaven, uh, the things that inhabit the earth, and everything outside of earth. You know, he is in control of all things. I thought I'd done really good about getting all these FN footnote things out of there, but already messed up on the first slide. All right, so talk about how God is sovereign. Um, and there's three areas, I think uh, Stephen Lawson pointed these out. Uh, but one is creation. Of course, God's in control. He created uh, by simply His Word. Um, so we would say that that was, was kind of like a, you know, a boss move where He you know, exercised His supremacy in creation. I mean, He created all things. He's over all things. He rules all things. Um, and then we would also know that He is sovereign in history and providence. Um, and that being um, history and providence being, uh, he's described it as being prescripted and directed. I think Calvin said that basically it's just a big theater for God. Like he wrote it and he is acting it out. He's having, he's the director, he's in control of all things. Um, and some of those you go to, um, I know we've used these a lot, but I just want to reference them again. Psalms 33:10, Romans 8:28, which we know everybody that's been to a funeral has seen that on the card. You know, all things work together for good of those that love God, called according to His purpose. You know that. That's it. I mean, I know we kind of laugh about it because we kind of take it out of context most times, but God is working everything, good and bad, for His glory. Okay. Um, and then Isaiah 48, 8 through 10, I think I may actually have put that one in here for us to go over, but uh, those really talk about the history and the providence. And then, of course, we have uh, salvation. If you look at the bottom one there, Ephesians 1, 4, <clears throat> it says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. <clears throat> so He chose that word uh, in the Greek is reflexive um, and it's also middle voice which means he chose by himself and for himself. It had nothing to do with you. It was all for him and for his glory. And that just is, I mean, that's really a sovereign move. I mean, that is the exercise of sovereignty because it doesn't have anything. You're not affecting anything that God did or what he planned out. He didn't look at Travis and go, Travis, good old boy. I think I'm going to save him, call him to myself because he's a good guy. No, he said, Travis is mine because I want him to be. That's it. Don't care, Travis. You're going to follow me. <laughs> but and I'll show you how that really, it does play out like that in a lot of situations here of, hey, you're mine. 
you really don't have the choice, honestly. Um, so we'll look at that in Ephesians 1 11. I know we've beat this one into the ground, but uh, in him uh, we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance with the plan of his will. So the four, you know, really all the things I have struggled to communicate to y'all are wrapped up in these verses. The predestined purpose, plan, and will of God. I mean, those are all the four things that I'm just like just blabbering about trying to hope the Holy Spirit works something in your mind and heart to, to inspire you about something, I guess. I don't know. But those are all things that, you know, all that plays into it. The predestined, the foreknowledge of God, you know, His purpose, His decree, His plan, all of that, and then the will that's going to be carried out by His sovereignty, His sovereign will. So that really sums up a lot of the sovereignty of God in that one verse. Um, so we have... It's really displayed in creation, history and providence, and in salvation. Now, <clears throat> salvation is the one that everybody wants to argue about and talk about. And so we'll, we'll look at a little bit of it uh, here in just a second. But um, to talk about what Spurgeon says about it, um, I think um, Lawson and Pink both reference this uh, in theirs. Um, but Spurgeon was teaching on Matthew twenty fifteen, where it says, is it not lawful for me to do what I want with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? <clears throat> and that's got to do when uh, the man was paying the workers and some came in earlier in the day than the others and he gave them all uh, the denarii and they're like, wait a second, that's not right. You know, I've been working a lot longer than so-and-so. How's that right? And so that's the, the verse here is, you know, the owner can do whatever he wants. He's in control, right? Um, so Spurgeon says this about that verse or that section that he, when he talked. Uh, it says, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances and the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the child ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God, and his right to sit upon that throne. So Spurgeon says this is the, like I told you, there's a lot of people, a lot smarter, a lot of scholars say this is the one that if you're going to stand on a hill and fight, it should be the sovereignty of God. Because if God's not in control, he's not God. And so um, Spurgeon says this is the one that, I, I liked how he put it, his children. You know, and it's the fact that God is sovereign that, you know, they say that's the softest pillow to lay your head down on at night, knowing that God is sovereign. And we don't have to worry about these things. Um, so... Um, We talked about Romans eight twenty eight, say that all things work together good. So, uh, just to talk about, well, a lot of times we won't think about the good things, but that verse is normally used in the negative context. So, um, take just something that's recent. Take Letsy's wreck. Was God sovereign that she wrecked and that she's okay and still here with us? Absolutely. Would he have been any less sovereign if he would have took Letsy on home that day? No. And we're going to sit back and say, well, that's not fair. And Lessie be going, 
I don't care that it's fair, guys. Look at where I'm at. I don't care about it. But we're going to sit back and go, well, that's not fair. And so God doesn't, is not um, swayed by circumstances. Okay? It doesn't matter. It's His control. He's in control of it all. Um, so just to help wrestle with some things, I mean, those are a lot of things that I wrestled with um, coming into this doctrine that I had no clue about. But, you know, God is sovereign in the good and the bad, and we don't get to say what's right and what's not. Um, Psalms 135 sits really, or not 135 sits, but I guess sits through 13 really encompasses a lot of the sovereignty of God. Uh, It says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the ocean's depths, uh, He causes the mist to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings uh, forth the wind from its treasuries. He struck the firstborn of Egypt, both human, firstborn and animal. He sent signs and wonders into your midst, Egypt, upon Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck many nations and brought death to mighty kings. Uh, Sion, uh, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan. And he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people Israel. Your name, Lord, is everlasting. The mention of you, Lord, is throughout all generations. Now, we would definitely sit back as man and go, well, that's not fair. You took these people's land and you gave it to these people. Why? Because I'm God. Because that's the way I'm going to work out my sovereign will. You can't understand it. When 99% of the time, you know, we're not going to understand it going through the trials and that type of stuff. But once you get on past them, you're like, that makes sense. Now, now I see how God weaved that into my life or how God made that work out uh, for His glory. Uh, but He says everything, even the mist, uh, the winds, the rain, all that is controlled by God. And we've talked about dealing with the decrees of God and the foreknowledge and, you know, talking about the, the um, maverick molecule. You know, there's not anything that's outside of God's control. He can control it, do whatever He wants to because it is His to control. Um, so Pink says this, Yes, dear reader, such is the imperial potentate revealed in holy writ, unrivaled in majesty, unlimited in power, unaffected by anything outside himself. It's not up to you. I'm not affected by your emotions. Okay? Um, this God is a God that's in control. He is sovereign and you know, it's not for you to, it's not really for you to, to ask why. He's God. Why would you ask why? A God that's loving enough to have his son crucified for your sins? Why would we ever ask God a question? All we should do is say, holy, 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 like the angels. I mean, we are no right to ever question God. Um, because it, we, I know we go through this life and don't think that I'm, I don't ever do this or anything like that. But we go through life because it's our life, right? We, we do have to uh, do things in this life. And I'm going to talk about human responsibility here in a minute. But we have to do things. And so a lot of times when we're thinking about that, we take the focus off of a sovereign God and we make it about us. And that's where we get 
in trouble a lot of times. If we could just keep our eyes on sovereign God and His will, that's where that's the road we need to stay on. Okay, stop asking God why all these things happen, but just say, God, how can you be glorified in it? What can I do to glorify Your name? And just move on. We'd be much happier people, I think. Um, so, what about man's responsibility here? It says he is unaffected by anything. Pink said that he is unaffected by anything outside himself. So, what about man's responsibility? Well, we we see both in Scripture. So, we do not believe in any way that God is sovereign and uh, human responsibility are two separate things. That they are not. They can't. You can't have one or the other because they're clearly in Scripture. Okay. So we kind of have to try with our finite mind and try and weave these together with all the examples in Scripture and, and the talking of it. But the main thing about man's responsibility is that man's responsibility is based on divine sovereignty and it's also a product of that sovereignty. Okay, So I'm thinking about those things when we go through this. Um, talk about creatures here. And Pink talks about a particular footing that God places these creatures on. And it's conditional and unconditional footing. And so angels in 1 Timothy 5.21 says, I solemnly exhort you in the presence of God and of Christ, Jesus of His chosen angels, to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Chosen angels. What does that mean? Is that the same thing as the chosen people? Is that the same thing as the chosen people of Israel? Does he have certain angels that are going to do his bidding at all time and do what he wants them to do? Okay. Before you answer, you don't have to answer it yet. 2 Timothy 2.4 For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness, hell for judgment. Hmm. So going through this, really just this past time, I really kind of honed in on this. There's people that go to heaven and people that go to hell, right? And we say God's chosen, go to heaven. Those that are not, go to hell. So this is based on a conditional, some are set on a conditional footing, some are on an unconditional footing. Those that are chosen will be considered on an unconditional footing. There is nothing that's going to change that. His chosen angels, His chosen people. There's nothing that's going to, you know, Scripture says, nothing can pry them out of the hands of God. Nothing. Therefore, they, are, they have an unconditional uh, footing. And some are placed on a conditional footing. Um, and just like... In creation, he foresaw the fall of man, but he still placed them on, or still placed Adam on that conditional footing. And then we got to talking about this after a couple of Wednesday nights. I used a, the wrong word in trying to explain the decrees of God and stuff. And Pete says that he suffered them to fall. I thought that's probably a good one to go with. He suffered them to fall. Uh, I used too passive of a word. We said allow and that type of stuff. So. Um, he suffered them to fall. Even though he knew they were going to, he suffered that, and he, he let it happen. Let it happen. 
passive still. It's hard to get around that. But anyway, so some are not though. So what was the conditional footing uh, with man? Well, Adam was placed in the garden upon a conditional footing. What was that? Not to eat from the tree, right? Obedience. That's the key thing God's looking for all throughout history. It's just obedience. Just be obedient. So why would God do that? All right, don't answer this one too quick. Go ahead, though, if you want to. Was it right to place Adam on the same conditional footing as angels? Some fail. Some angels fail. Man fail. Was it right? Perfect, Travis. Perfect. Because it was right because God did it. It's the wrong question to ask. It's right because it's what God did. It's not up to us to decide what's right and what's not. And we see, I mean, through Scripture, I mean, riddled with examples of, if you'll do this, God will bless you. And they never can fulfill it. Um, and we're not going to take the time to do that. All right? Here's another quote from, um, from Pink. Um, and this is more of talking about the responsibility of man and the sovereignty. And we talked about this a little bit before, but where does the sovereignty end and the responsibility begin? Uh, he says, It was God in exercise of his high sovereignty that placed Satan and his angels, Adam and Israel, in their respective responsible positions. But so far from his sovereignty taking away responsibility from the creature, it was by the exercise thereof that he placed them on conditional footing. So it was the sovereignty of God that he placed them on conditional footing. Under such responsibilities as he had thought proper. Obey. Right? By virtue of which sovereignty he is seen to be God over all. Thus there is perfect harmony between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of the creature. So God says, look, I'm going to place you on a conditional footing here. I want you to obey. You can follow me and obey or be condemned to hell and not obey was the gist with Adam. Right? He gave them the condition and he is sovereign in that and he has gave the responsibility to Adam to follow that sovereignty. And another time, I, this is another one that kind of, I think this is next. Um, so, talking about kind of like, well, what right do we have anyway? Right? God told us obey. We said that the reason why Adam fails, he did not obey. He ate of the fruit. Um, so what rights did Adam have in the beginning? Um, and if you look in Genesis 2, 16, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. That's the only reason why he was even able to eat in the garden was because God commanded him, you can eat freely in this garden. And then, of course, verse 17, uh, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. On the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. So even the fact that Adam had the ability to eat or the responsibility to eat was given by God. He commanded him to eat. Um, and then in uh, Exodus 12, 
35, we see now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, uh, for they had requested from the Egyptian articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have their request. Therefore, they plundered the Egyptians. We remember this, right? They're about to skip town. <laughs> they go around asking people, and it's like, that's not fair. You're robbing the blind, basically. But what right did they have? Well, Exodus 12:35. Uh, how the sons of Israel uh, had done according to the word of Moses. Uh, no, that's not. I thought it was two. Wait, did I not do that right? Ah, oh, it's. I put the wrong one on there. It's Exodus. Mm, I think it was two. Shouldn't be two. Where is it? See if I can find it right quick. I think it's in 12. I think it's like 12 5 or something. I don't know. Um, no, that's Passover. Let's play. Make sure I didn't. Yeah, that's not the one I wanted. That's the same one. Um, How did I make that mistake? If y'all find it, holler at me. <laughs> well, what, 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 what would he... Okay, so what would we be looking for? Mm -mm. What, what happened in this verse that we'd be like, why can they do that? Is it 50? I thought it would have come before it. Maybe it didn't. Um, oh, yeah, it was 50. Thanks. Then all the sons of Israel did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that same day, the Lord brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. So that's kind of the aftersault. But he told them, Go and ask for their silver and stuff. You can do that. You can basically rob them blindly. And that's what God ordered them to do, and God carried it out for them to do. Um, yeah. My one mess up in how many, how many years have I been doing this? All right. So the only rights we have are the rights that God gives us. You know, we, we want to say, well, that's not fair or whatever. Well, who's, who are we to say? You know, we can only do what God has commanded us to do. Um, and um, let's see. We'll go ahead, go ahead and look at Job right quick. Uh, Job 1. You know, a lot of, I don't want to say people are blind to this. They, I just feel like they don't give a lot of thought to it, uh, the sovereignty of God. But even Satan himself knows about the sovereignty of God. Satan, I don't think in any instance thinks, oh, I'm in control. I think I've got this going the way I want it. I've got this in control. Look at, um, look at verse 
6. We'll start at 6. It says, uh, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to, to present themselves before the Lord. Sons of God, probably meaning angels there. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord uh, and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Well, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Watch this. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Like, come on, God. You've kind of made it easy for Job. Um, he says, Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed uh, the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. So he's like, God, you did everything for him. He already knows. Satan knows that God's in control and he's the one doing everything for Job. So he says, um, verse 11, uh, But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only to not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And even in that, God still controls Satan and saying, you can touch anything he has, but you can't touch him. So Satan knows of the sovereignty of God, doesn't question it. He says, God, you are the very one that gives him all of this. You're the one in control of everything in Job's life. And yet, a lot of Christians and people want to say, oh, God's, God's sovereign, but he's not that sovereign. Well, you can't have it. You can't have God being sovereign in some things and not some things. And we want to give him sovereignty over jobs and cars. Oh, God gave me this job. God gave me that car. God gave me this house. But then we don't think God's in control of the very thing that is the most important to him, and it's his glory and bringing about salvation in man. Why would he be sovereign in the little things and not sovereign in the big things? I think that would be the complete opposite. Say, no, God's sovereign in salvation of people. He don't care what car you drive. I don't know why you think about that. Well, we got it completely opposite because it, the focus is on us at that point. Saying, oh, it's my stuff. It's me. Anyway, um, so what about the elect and the angels that didn't fall? Well, they're not on a conditional footing, but they're on that unconditional footing. Okay. Um, now, here's the one that I really didn't think about and really enjoyed looking at this time. Um, was Christ placed on conditional or unconditional footing? Yes. He was on <laughs> one or two. <laughs> so we would say that God placed him on conditional footing. Okay. Because um, he was made under the law to redeem those that were under the law. Okay. So he came to us, was made like us. Okay. In a conditional um, sense. Um, the only difference is Christ fulfills the condition. He is 100% obedient in all things that God calls him to do. So that's the difference. Uh, 
We can't. We never will. Those that are unconditional, they're never going to choose God. This is not going to happen. We're too much about ourselves. We're never going to choose God. We're not going to wake up one day and just go, you know what? I think I'm going to give God a try. No, if God's not working in your heart, drawing you, giving you the gift of salvation, the gift of faith, we're never just on our own going to choose God. It's not going to happen. Um, but Christ did every time. And when we look at it, uh, Christ going to the cross, well, not yet necessarily, I don't guess, but Christ is before Pilate and says, look, I don't find any fault in him, but hey, I can pardon one of these guys. You want Barabbas or you want Christ pardon? That's probably a murderer, killer, you know, guy that raises ruckus all the time, or you want this guy that claims to be king of the Jews? Which one do you want? And unanimously, Barabbas. And that's man's heart. We're going to choose anything other than what God's got for us. Um, so... Pink says it was the sovereign will that appointed him, sovereign love that sent him, and sovereign authority that assigned him his work. Complete sovereignly in the condition, conditional and unconditional. Um, so the conditions of Christ, I think we already went over this. Uh, no, we didn't fully. It says he was made in the likeness of sin's flesh. He was to magnify the law and make it honorable. He was to bear all the sins of all God's people in his own body on the tree. He was to make full atonement for them. He was to endure the outpoured wrath of God. And he was to die and be buried. And at that point, we can look back in, in Isaiah 53 and see. Um, it says, But the Lord desired to crush him. This is God looking at Christ, saying, I desire to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as... A guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. And as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. Therefore, I will lot him a portion with the great, and, will, and he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with wrongdoers, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. That's God. That's Isaiah saying, there's one coming that's going to fulfill this condition, not only for himself, but for every human being that's God's child. And it tells us there, um, see here, be satisfied. I think it's farther up than that. Yeah, he will see his offspring. That's kind of what, you know, you got to think, what's, why is Christ going through all this? Well, he, him going through the cross and all this suffering, he has this promise of God that says, hey, you're going you're gonna to be the first fruits. You're going to see all those that come to believe and glorify me. And that's what was the role of Christ, the condition of Christ. If he fulfills it, we're all good. And you can see how it was all on Christ and not on us. Had nothing to do with Cody, thank goodness. So kind of trying to conclude in this, some angels, uh, man, some men, uh, mankind, and Israel are placed on unconditional footing and others are placed on conditional footing. In Romans 9, 18, so then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. And we, you know, I'm probably beat this one to death, you know, the potter, what's the pot got to say to the 
to the one making him to use him for good or for evil. Can't. Comes out of the same lump. One can be used for high and holy things. The other can be crushed on the ground, trodden on by animals. And it's all up to the potter. And that's the way it is with God. And, you know, we've been blessed to have, I think, that type of teaching around here for a while now, but it's tough um, when this is the first time you're running across it. It's like, it's almost scary to really sit back and think about the sovereignty of God and not, you know, we say, oh, he's all powerful. Yeah, but what does that really mean? But to think that he is in control of all things. And once again, we got to talk about, you know, what all does he, what has he decreed to happen? And how does that work into it? Uh, and that's the reason why it's so hard to talk about these things in full because we don't understand. I don't understand it. Uh, I just know what these scriptures have said and tried to make sense of them as much as I can. You got a question? Yeah. Jeremy, listen. <laughs> uh, so with your Romans 9.18 verse, I was just trying to like correlate your unconditional and conditional statement with your Romans 9.18. So would you be saying then that the vessels of mercy are an example of unconditional? Correct. Or, okay, and then the vessels of hardening or wrath would be conditional. Yeah. Because they're not meeting the condition. Right, they're never going to choose God. For the unconditional. Yep. Okay. Christ has met the conditions for the ones that are under the unconditional. Okay. And it's solely up to God. I mean, that's it. And I don't understand why we want to argue about it. I mean, salvation, everything, it's whatever God wants. I know we want to say, well, that's just not fair. But He's God. He can do whatever He wants. Just like we said, He could take Letsy or not. He's still God. He's still sovereign in whatever He had chosen to do. Now, we praise Him and glorify Him and the fact that she's still here with us, but would we have been as quick to glorify and praise Him if He had taken her? That's where we get focused on man where we should be looking at God and saying, God, you're sovereign. You, you ended all the sickness that she could have ever had. You know, you're so much more merciful to her than you, you know, you've ever been to anybody that's still alive. So, any other questions? Can I ask a question? <laughs> Can I ask a question about the conditional and unconditional? Would you say that? Uh, that was your one question. Yes, you can. Later. No, it's kidding. <laughs> then you're going to try and separate them. And it's hard to. I know. I know you're not, but the question kind of does. <laughs> so, are you talking about him meeting the condition because he is the condition? Well, he, going back to what we said earlier about, you know, we don't have the right, with the question asked Travis, we don't have the right to question whether or not that was right because God did it, therefore it's right. Yeah. Therefore, whatever Jesus does, if he's fully God, would be right. He could commit no wrong. Right. By definition, whatever he did would be considered right. Right. But he does lay out, obviously, some conditions before yeah. the man, Christ, shows up. He does meet those conditions yeah. back like in. Yeah, submitting under the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the fact that God made us all guilty in Adam, that 
that starts off kind of strange to start with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I would much rather live on this side of the garden than me be Adam and me have the choice of just following or obeying and ruining all mankind. Because I know me. I know Cody's heart. It's evil. There's no question about it. I'm going to choose self over God. Do it all the time. Barabbas, all the time. And option sin or not, I mean, hopefully more not now than before, but I've chosen sin many times.